Good morning again, and uh, we missed you all last week. Um, we did, we missed you all. And we, um, we heard good things uh, about the service here last Sunday, so I'm uh, very happy that uh, the Word of God was preached and uh, you all uh, were fed by the Word of God. So let's try and do the same thing this morning, shall we? We're looking at Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. <clears throat> As we continue our series on Satan... As far as I know, I'm the only pastor who has done a series on Satan. I don't know anyone else who's actually done this series, so um, yeah, it's a little bit unique, but I believe we'll, uh, the Lord will uh, teach us um, some important truths from this to make us stronger. Ezekiel chapter 28, we'll read from verse 13 to 18 this morning. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in all thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as a profane, as profane, sorry, out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. Let's bring these things to the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for this time, and we just thank you for the faithfulness of your word. We thank you that we can trust every syllable within it. And we just thank you, Father, that you give us your understanding that we might be able to apply it to our own lives. Lord, our intention this morning is that we would learn more of your ways, that we would know more of your truth, that the wisdom that we receive and the wisdom that we use is your wisdom and not the world's wisdom, that we might apply it and you might be glorified because of it. Father, we desire to see this world saved, and we know you do too. So, Father, for that purpose, use us in every possible way as witnesses of the fact that Jesus has risen again from the grave and that he is alive in our hearts. We pray these things in his precious name. Amen. Um, ever watch those, those crime uh, series where you have a forensic scientist who has a, either a body or someone who's been shot or something like that, and they have to, their job is to find out what really happened by piecing together all the evidence. They work out how it got to that particular stage. 
Well, this morning we're going to try and do the same thing with this particular passage. We're going to, we're going to pick it apart. And the desire from this morning is that we might see how Satan fell. Well, we know that he was lifted up in pride because of his beauty, but this passage describes a whole lot more. This passage describes then the ongoing effect of his fall. And what I would like for us to learn this morning is not just about him, but also about how he affects us and how he seeks to cause men to fall in the same way that he has. You see, he caused a third of the angels in heaven to fall and he has been the, the primary source of sin in this world from the beginning, from the garden. So we want to understand his schemes. We, un- we want to understand his devices. And by understanding him more, the enemy, we have a better chance of actually defending ourselves by using the weapons that God has given us and the armour that God has given us in order to deflect his attacks on us. So I want to go, I want to recap a little bit more because it has been a couple of weeks. Now I'd like to recap some of the important things that we learned last uh, sermon. And the first thing we, we find out in this particular passage, it says, Thou hast been in, in Eden, the garden of God. Well, we know there is only one Eden, and God planted that particular garden himself. And he placed two individuals, sorry, he placed one individual who he created outside of that garden, mind you. So he created, he created uh, Adam outside the garden, he planted the garden, created Adam, put Adam in the garden, okay? And then, through a rib, he actually created a wife for Adam. And the Bible says here that Satan was in Eden. Now we know that the serpent was in Eden from a negative point of view because it was through the serpent that Satan tempted Adam and Eve to sin. But this doesn't say that here. This says that, that he was in Eden and he was an absolutely beautiful being. It says he was incredibly beautiful, powerful and intelligent as well. And it says that he was covered or had some sort of a covering which included some of the most precious jewels you can imagine. So he would have been altogether beautiful. The Bible says here in verse 14 that he was anointed, the covering, a cherub that covereth. And we looked at this last time and what it actually meant because a cherub is a type of angel and we know that now, okay? One of the greatest and strongest angels that God created, because there's a whole plethora of them, Satan was one of the most powerful angels. And it says there that he was anointed to cover. So what's he doing, first of all, in the Garden of Eden? Well, we can put two and two together, and we can simply say that Satan's job was to protect and to guard. And part of his job would have been to guard and to protect Adam and Eve the first two people that God created. He was to defend and to protect those two individuals. And that's in line with what Scripture teaches us. Because Hebrews also tells us that every angel that God created is sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation in Hebrews. Every angel that is sent forth from God into this world is sent here to minister to us. You know what the word minister means? To serve. Interesting idea, isn't it? Have you heard of the term guardian angel? That's where it comes from. That God sends his angels to this earth to guard his children, to protect them. Now, 
It would seem that all angels have, have a primary purpose to worship God, but have also a purpose to serve the heirs of salvation, which is us. And we must conclude that it would have included Adam and Eve in the beginning. And Satan reinforces this idea as well. You see, when Christ came to the earth and he was 40 days in that wilderness, Satan tried to tempt Jesus a number of times. And one of the temptations that he gave Jesus was he said, actually the Bible says that that Satan took Jesus up to the highest point of the temple, the highest pinnacle of the temple, and he said, now throw yourself off from here. Because the Bible says, and he was quoting scripture, the Bible says that if 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 you fall, that the angels will catch you before you hit the ground, lest you dash your foot, lest you cut your foot. What was Satan saying? He knew the job of the angels was to protect the Son of God. He was the heir of salvation. So he knew that the angels would do that, but Jesus said, no, I'm not doing that. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Don't put God to the test. It's not the right thing to do, and he refused to do it. We also discovered last time that man had been given dominion of the world by God. Turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 with me. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. So right in the beginning, God says, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Man was given, that word dominion means to rule. Man was given the rule of this entire planet by God. God put us here. To rule this world. And the Bible then goes on to say that we were to subdue it, that we were to replenish the earth, which means to multiply and fill it. And man was given rule of this incredible world. And if you think it's incredible now, with all the beauty that we see around us, imagine it before the fall. Imagine it before the fall, how wonderful it would have been. So here we have two individuals in a garden. And they were given dominion of a planet. Okay, dominion. It's, and, and we know that they had the ability to procreate. They had the ability to make more of themselves, to multiply and to subdue. They were also made eternal in nature. They were made never to die. They would have lived forever. If Adam and Eve hadn't, hadn't sinned, they would have lived forever. So would all of their children. But, They had to rely upon the protection of the angels. So the angels were there with them all the time and they were put there to protect them, to guard them, to make sure that nothing bad happened to them. This shows a level of fragility in man. The other thing that we notice about man is that the Bible says that he was completely innocent in his ways. He was so innocent, and we would use the word today clueless, about, about good and bad. Adam and Eve had no concept of good and bad. They were like little kids. In fact, they were naked. 
They were running around the garden naked without even realising that they were naked. So imagine the responsibility that Satan had to protect those two children, in essence, because little kids can run around naked without knowing that they're naked. It's only when we get older that we, that we, we cover ourselves up. Okay? They were exactly like two children, but they'd been given a particular rule, to, only one particular rule to follow, and that was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there's these two fragile individuals that needed protecting. They couldn't even see the spiritual world. I mean, we've often had discussions with, with, other, with other people. I've had this discussion often about, you know, imagine if we could see the angels and the demons around us. Would you want to? You might say yes now, but if you probably saw what was going on around us, you'd probably then want to change your mind pretty quick. But God did not create us with these eyes to see the spiritual world. The angels work freely around us, and so did the demonic as well, though. We can't see them. We can only see the after effects of them. So you had these two individuals who couldn't even see the, the, the angels that were probably put there to protect them. They were given rule of a planet. They were totally innocent, no idea of good and, good and bad, and uh, they were clueless. And they were given all this unbelievable um, power. And they were made in God's own image. You see, we've been created in God's image. The angels haven't. There is something within us that resembles, that looks like God himself. In contrast to man, the angels were created much more powerful. The Bible gives us a number of stories of angels that were able to wipe out entire armies. One angel. So imagine the power that one angel can actually possess. So the angels were more powerful. They were also eternal in nature. In other words, they, they would not die. They do not die. They were created to be permanent. It was obvious they had much more knowledge than man. The Bible says that the devil was full of wisdom. Satan was full of wisdom. He would not have been the only one. They could see both the physical and the spiritual worlds. We could only see the physical. They had access to heaven and to the earth. And they were obviously beautiful in appearance. But they were created to serve. They were created to serve God and they were created to minister to man. They were not given the ability to procreate. Angels can't have children. They can't enter into the sort of relationships that we can enter into. They don't understand it. Their numbers are fixed. And the final thing that I want you to remind you of is that they were given no ability to rule. So when man was given the dominion of this world and that we were essentially meant to be the masters of this planet, the Bible says that the angels were never given dominion of anything. So in this situation, you have an angel who is walking in a garden, who's created one of the most powerful, beautiful and, and, and in most intelligent beings in the universe. 
And he looks at himself. And what's his job? He's a babysitter. He's a babysitter. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 17, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. So he looks, he looked at himself and he saw this incredible being. And who was he comparing himself to? To God? No. He was comparing himself to those ones that, that were made in God's own image, who were given dominion, who he had to serve and look after. Why did God throw so much and give so much to these two individuals? Isaiah 14, 13 says, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the Most High. He wanted to be God himself. He wanted to sit on that throne. He was so enamoured with himself that he wanted that position. And here he is looking out for two individuals who had been given rule already of a planet by God himself. So he plans an attack right at the heart of God's creation and his authority, focusing on the two individuals that were the most vulnerable and that looked like him. This would really cut to the heart of God if he got this over the line. So he tempts Eve to take the fruit that Lord God had forbidden both of them to have. And what promise does he make to these two individuals? Look at Genesis 3, 4. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. It says, And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. So God had promised that if they ate the fruit, that they would die. And he directly contradicts what God says. And he says in verse 5, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. What was Satan's promise to them? What was the temptation that he was, that he was offering them? He promised them that they could be gods themselves. In other words, no need to bow the knee to that one up there. You be your own gods. You do it the way you want. You'll know everything that's going on around here. You won't have to rely on him to lead you by the hand every step of the way. You make your own rules. You won't have to serve and obey because you can be rulers of your own destiny. And it worked. It worked. In one fell swoop, Satan got them to disobey God and to obey him. They served him instead of him serving them. And instead of serving their creator, they bowed the knee and served him. And in essence, they handed over the title deed of this planet to him. The rulers, the ones who would have dominion of this planet, became subservient to the angel that was put there really to protect them. He took the ownership of this planet. What a battle, what, what a decisive victory if you look at it from a strategic point of view that he achieved at this point. Stage one was the earth, stage two, let's take heaven itself because now he had ammunition. 
He had something he could offer the angels and say, I've already won this victory. I am now the ruler of this planet. These two have bowed the knee to me. Look at the ones that he created in his image. They've bowed the knee to me. What temptation do you think that, the Satan, that Satan could have given the angels or tempted the angels with to rebel against their creator? How about the same, the same lie again? You don't have to serve him. You don't have to, to bow the knee to him all the time. You don't have to spend the rest of eternity worshipping this one being. You can be your own gods. You can do it your own way. That's a tempting thought. Yeah, but what are you talking about? That's that you can't do that. I did it. I've already done it. He promised the same lie to them as he did to Adam to Adam and Eve. That they could be gods themselves. They could be worshipped rather than have to serve. And if we get the numbers, we can take heaven itself. But we know the outcome of that because scripture clearly tells us what happened. He failed. A third of the angels went to his side. A third. So he failed in his attempt to take heaven itself. Which left them the earth. Nothing that could do much in heaven. But the Bible says that the dragon with his tail swept a third of the stars from heaven and dragged them down to the earth. And we see around us demonic or devilish principalities, that's like authorities, being set up all around the world. We see demonic activity in people. We see that in the scriptures where, where Jesus casts out devils from people. We see it through all throughout scripture that the angels have meddled in man's affairs and continue to influence and sway and push this way and that way. The Bible says the devil holds man as a captive to sin. We see the worship of countless false gods and countless false religions and idols. And the evil around us is a testament of the fact that it's not just man here that there are other things going on in the background that we can't see. Scriptures tell us that an idol, in other words, a statue of a god, is not just nothing. The Bible says that every time that they sacrifice to these idols, and, and man has done it throughout all of his history, and there are still plenty of idol worship going on, it says that all of these idols are, have a, a demon behind them or a devil behind them. So when people sacrifice to these gods, they're sacrificing to a devil. You see, every false religion in the world is created by the devil himself. And he uses his, his henchmen, he uses the devils that fell with him, that third of the angels from heaven, to masquerade as something good when there's something completely evil. The Bible says that God, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, 
who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So the, the, the other part of his, his thing that he does is he wants to keep people blinded to the truth. If he can keep you blinded long enough, you will die and you will die in your sin and you will go to hell. And no, he's not there already and he's not going to be torturing you. Uh, the Bible says that eventually he'll be thrown in there and that's his prison as well. So this morning I'd like for us to see these last four verses of this particular passage in Ezekiel. And I would like for us to understand what happened with Satan's character and how he continues to tempt us and to, and to cause people to fall as he did. Ezekiel chapter 28, 15. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence. Thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as a profane out of the mountain of God and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub. There was a day when Lucifer was created an absolutely perfect being. Beautiful, holy. It's hard to start to even, even mention the word holy and him at this, in the same uh, sentence. But he was created holy, set apart, beautiful, wise, altogether glorious. Just like the rest of the creation that God, that God made. He was perfect and God pronounced everything that he made on that sixth day good. And he was. But how does, a, how does a being that is perfect become so corrupt? How does he go from perfect holiness to utter corruption? This passage describes the corruption that takes place in Satan's heart. From rejecting God to ultimately becoming the, the epitome of evil that we know today. Satan has not stopped peddling the same lie he gave to Adam and Eve from the beginning. The same lie he sold to the angels, he repeated it again to Jesus and tried to do the same, trying, he tried to do the same trick with him. You can be a God in your own right. You don't need to bend the knee. And men have continued to fall for this line over and over and over again over these thousands of years. The same lie continues to, to, to peddle today. The world teaches you and the world teaches everyone today that you can do it your own way. That there is enough good in you, that there is enough potential in you, that if you reach that potential, you can be anything that you want. You heard that one before? That's a beauty. That's a lie. So the scriptures tell us here that he was perfect until iniquity was found in him. And then verse 16 says, By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled... They have filled the midst of thee with violence and thou hast sinned. What does that mean? I mean, the midst, multitude of thy merchandise. Well, merchandise here is what someone sells to someone else. Okay? When you go to the store, they're selling you merchandise. It's something that, that's sold and bartered. Okay? So, so the devil has sold something and continues to be a seller. What's he selling? He's peddling lies. He's peddling the same lie that he told from the garden. He's still selling the same merchandise today. He sells wealth. He sells influence. He sells power. He sells riches. He sells influence. He wants people to believe that they can be gods themselves. When people say that they've sold their soul to the devil, it's for these things. 
He has sold promises of Godhood and power from the time he fell, and he has always continued to sell the same thing, infecting his victims with the same pride that he had from the beginning. You see, when a, a created being like us looks at yourself long enough, because you have to have a good self-ego, don't you? You have to have a good self-perception. When you look at yourself long enough and you convince yourself of your own beauty, your own power, your own intelligence, you will convince yourself of your own deservedness. And pride is the vehicle on which that travels. If you have pride in your heart this morning, the devil will use that pride to get you to put yourself in the middle of your universe. You become the most important thing in your life. And when you do, you dethrone God from his rightful place. And you will have a never-ending rabbit chase in your life to try to fulfil a life that you think you can do by gaining more, by having more friends, by influencing more people, by being the centre of attention, by having this or having that. The world will sell you on that and you will never stop chasing that rabbit. And you will never catch that rabbit. And the devil has plenty of people chasing things that they believe will bring them happiness and fulfilment when in the end they provide nothing. So what he does, he, if he manages to twinge a little bit of pride in you, he'll use that pride to make you covetous, to desire things that you don't or you shouldn't have. And you'll want those things. And you'll put that thought in your mind to say, you need that to be happy. You need that job. You need that house. You need that car. You need those friends. You need that influence. You need that money. You need that holiday. You need... And it's countless. If you don't get it, you won't be happy. You know what I'm talking about. Satan has sold his lies. He fills the hearts of those that he's tempted with desires that aren't right. Such as angels wanting to be worshipped. Such as Adam and Eve wanting knowledge that they were not meant to have. Such as a desire to be independent from God and, and believing in yourself that you don't need him. Now that is a complete load of rubbish. The Bible says that he sustains every breath within us every moment. This covetous desire leads you to do things to gain and you do it through violence. It says that they've filled the midst of these violence. What does selling merchandise have to do with violence? You know what? If he can convince you that you deserve to have that thing over there and someone's going to try to stop you from getting it, guess what the next thing you're going to try and do is? That covetous desire leads you to do things violently. Violence has its roots in pride and covetousness. The angels sought to take heaven by violence and violence has characterised Satan's world ever since. Where men have sought greatness in this world, they have most often sought it through violence. People like Napoleon, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Hitler, Genghis Khan, and so on and so on. All these people that are in our history books that people idolised because they were great military leaders, wanted power and influence, and they did it by violence. 
personal pride leads to unholy desire and violence to obtain what is not rightfully yours. That's why the verse says that through his merchandise, through his selling, those, peddling those lies, they filled the midst of him with violence. When Jesus came to this earth as a saviour of the world, the promised Messiah to come to save men from their sins, he came as a meek lamb, doing good to everyone. But the ones who should have recognised his coming, the religious leaders, the priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they should have recognised this is the one that God's promises from the beginning because they knew their Bibles. They knew the scriptures. They should have recognised him from all the prophecies that God had given responded with violence they responded with violence the opposite of what it should have been why because they coveted the power they wanted the influence jesus was a threat to their power so the only thing they could do was to get rid of him in their minds they're parading around with long robes Street corner announcements, blowing trumpets, long-winded prayers. All of these he was exposing as frauds. He was exposing them as, as just playing a game to keep their position in their society that people would always look up to them. How did they respond? They sought to kill him. Turn to John chapter 8 verse 40 with me. John 8.40 says, But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth. This is Jesus speaking. Which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father, the devil. And the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. What were they seeking to kill Jesus for? Because their father was the devil and they were doing what? he wanted and what he was trying to do do you see the merchandise that satan sells can infiltrate every position even the church at that stage that wasn't the church but it was it was god's institution to bring to keep the truth for people he infiltrated even that you don't think he infiltrates the church as well with the same lies you don't think that there are power plays that take place in churches you don't think he plays the same game over and over again? Sung the same lie over and over again, causing division wherever he possibly can? Jesus makes something very clear in Mark chapter 11, verse 12. He says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. I remember hearing that once in a, uh, in a Pentecostal sermon many years ago. 
And they put, in a, they put a positive spin on it. A positive spin. As if we need to be bold for God. We need to take it by force. The kingdom of God. Until you read it in the context. The, heaven, the kingdom of heaven suffering, suffering violence. And the violent taking it by force. Were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Resisting the kingdom of God that was coming into this world. They were actively trying to, to quash what God was doing. Please be aware that Satan will attempt to use the same strategy on you. He will use the same thing on you. And he will use it more than once and in many different ways. He will lift you up within your own heart. He will cause you to say that I'm better than someone else. He will make you become envious Jealous and covetous of things that you should not desire. You will then convince yourself that you deserve to have them because you are good. You deserve it. And if you can't get them in the normal manner, you will seek violent means to obtain them. Now you might think to yourself, oh, I'm not a violent person. Um, I want you to understand at this point. That violence is not just physically beating up someone else to get it or to kill them. Violence is not just physical abuse, but includes bullying, threats, intimidation, psychological manipulation, coercion and pressure. The violent in this world take what they want. I see it in the business world all the time. They manipulate people to get what they want. That is violence, one way or the other. Our society and our homes are full of violence. Full of it. Because Satan is still peddling his merchandise. He'll peddle it to you in your home, in your work, and in your church. And even the elect fall for it. Please, don't fall for the lies. Don't fall for the lies. Because God says that one day... He is going to cast Satan out as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and he will destroy him. A covering cherub from the midst of the stones of fire. This has not happened yet, but will occur in the future. But for the moment, he is still free to roam around. Look at verse 17. He says, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. So once again, we see Satan lifted up because of his beauty. Hey, look at me. Look at me compared to everyone else. But something else, apart from the pride, welled up within him. As we have seen already, people who think highly of themselves believe that they deserve something. And Satan obviously believed he deserved something at that stage, which he took. Satan forgot who gave him his beauty, his glory, his wisdom and his strength. He failed to see the huge gulf between his glory and God's glory. Between his created glory and God's absolute glory and wisdom. Satan's own heart was in a place where God should have been. Lifted up and central to his attention and devotion. But what happens when pride lifts you up to a place where you displace God as being the first in your life. You know what happens? You throw wisdom out the window. 
wisdom and truth become completely corrupted. Ever want something? Now think back. Have you ever wanted something that you knew was wrong to have? Or have you ever, ever wanted to do something that you knew was wrong to do? What happens when you start having that conversation in your mind? Well, so how does that conversation go? What happens when your pride causes you to become covetous, like Satan's heart was? What do you normally do is that initially you re- resist the urge. You think, oh, no, that's not right. The thought comes back. And then you start to have a conversation. And you start to look for ways to justify it. For instance, a man sees a wallet left on a seat next to him on a, on a bus stop. He knows it belongs to someone else. But as he opens it up, he sees a $1,000 of cash in there. He immediately remembers... That the $1,000 is exactly what he needs for him to put the deposit on his car. He'll have enough to get the, the loan for the car, and he's been wanting this car for so long, this brand new car. $1,000. It'll take him at least a month and a half to get that money to save it. So what does he do? He begins to have a conversation within himself. He begins to argue. Um, someone else will probably just take it. If I don't take it, someone else will probably just take it anyway, won't they? Um, mate, who carries $1,000 in their wallet? This guy must be loaded. He wouldn't notice 1000 bucks was missing. Do you see the sort of arguments that you'll begin to have to justify taking someone else's money? The truth has already been compromised and wisdom in this case has been corrupted. Like any good lawyer, what happens is our minds start playing the game. <coughs> and we look for loopholes to do that which we already know in our hearts we shouldn't be doing. How about when your spouse and your, your friend upset you? Huh? When they upset you, do you use it as an excuse to do something bad to them that you've been wanting to do? Is an excuse for doing something wrong to them? How about cheating on your taxes? And no one's going to know. The government won't miss it if I claim a few things that, that I really shouldn't be claiming. How many times have you heard you say your, how, many, how many times have you heard you, yourself say these words in your mind? No one's going to notice. It's not that bad. Everyone else does it. Oh, there's, there's a lot more worse things than this anyway. You know where they come from? The same, the same sin and corruption. Because you know it's wrong, but your wisdom, your truth, becomes corrupted because you're trying to find a way around it. And so Satan will try to convince you whatever way he can that in order for you to be happy or content or fulfilled or to be successful... You can't do it without this, that or the other. And you can do it without God. You don't need God, but you need that. You don't need God, but you need the other thing. Don't listen to those lies, please. 
Satan will always attempt to convince you to do things your own way. Whenever the Lord says in his word to do something a certain way, be rest assured that Satan will try to convince you that you either don't need to do it or you can do it a different way and achieve the same result. He will try to convince you that it won't work God's way or that you just can't do it. Even though God's word says it, you can't do it. It's not in you to do it. So you give up before you even start. But we can. And we will, by God's grace. It comes down to believing. Satan often repeats the same lie to break you and me down over and over and over again. You can't understand God's word. Just rely on other people to teach you. You don't need to be reading it that often. It doesn't make that much sense. You don't need to be in church every, every Sunday morning. You don't need that. What's the point of being faithful? Just go there every now and then. You don't need to be baptised. You don't need to become a member and serve, even though God's word says it. You don't need to go to all these things, do you? They're just wasting all your time. You're too busy. You don't need to be praying that often, do you? You're praying too much. Don't pray that much. You don't need to witness to that person over there. They'll probably just embarrass you. Don't ask for forgiveness from that person you offended, even though that they've been hurt by you. Don't ask for forgiveness. You didn't do anything wrong, really. It was really their fault. It's okay to hold that grudge for a while with them. It's okay not to forgive them for what they did to you. I mean, they haven't come back asking you for forgiveness, have they? Well, if they haven't come asking you for forgiveness, you don't forgive them. Wait till they come to you. I'm right in this matter. The other person's wrong. Well, it's okay to backbite sometimes at church. It's okay to have a bit of a whinge and a whine every now and then. It's okay to spread gossip about other people in the church, isn't it? Come on, we're not doing anything that bad. It's really their fault. It's okay to gossip about them because they were in the wrong. I don't have to give to the church. The church has got plenty of money as it is. God is happy for me to give to other things. The list goes on and on and on and on. What the Bible clearly teaches in its word, in its pages, in its, in its sentences... We find an excuse every time to try to break those things. And the devil will try to do it to you every time. You know much why there is so much discord and there is so much division? Because people simply do not believe the word of God and follow it. The devil has people running around in circles day after day and time after time banging heads with everyone else because they're the centre of the universe and if anyone wants to take my freedom away from me, I'm going to make sure they get a piece of my mind. Don't let Satan fool you. You may think you have everyone else fooled. You can't fool God. But Satan's wisdom becomes corrupted because of his brightness. Understand something very important this morning. God sees through all the facades. He sees it all. 
He sees through every pretense, every game, every mask that we put on, every, everything that we do with the wrong motive. He knows me and you better than we even know ourselves. So to play the game is pointless task. Pointless. Because the Bible says that there is neither any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We have to do. One day we'll have to do. One day, every facade, every mask, everything that I played the game with, every corrupted thing that, I, that I've ruined along the way, God will strip away. And there'll be just me. And I'll see myself as I actually am. Not what I think I am. When the Lord spoke to the, uh, the church in, in Laodicea, he said, because thou sayest I am rich and am increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes of eyesight that they may see. The only cure for a life which is a facade is to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and buy from him. Don't buy from the devil. Buy from the Lord because he paid an unbelievable price to give you that thing. It's been bought. The transaction's been made. You just have to accept it. And finally, it says in verse 18... Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thy iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore I will bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. The two sanctuaries, the two hallowed grounds that Satan was given responsibility for was Eden and heaven. He defiled both of them. He defiled Eden by bringing sin into Eden and he defiled heaven by bringing sin there as well and he tried to overtake it. When, you say, when the Bible says here traffic, it means to sell something, especially something illegal. When I, say traffic, when I say traffic drugs, it means when you're selling something that is essentially illegal. In the olden days, it refers to someone who would travel all around the place selling their wares. A bit like a snake oil salesman. Satan has been selling, trafficking, lies, and he continues to sell them. And people continue to buy, heartily. They'll spend their lives to buy these things. They'll consume their entire existence and their family's existence to get what he's offering. Satan corrupted his holy places. When Jesus came to the earth, there is a scene that's probably one of the most memorable in the New Testament where he goes into the temple and he sees people changing money in the temple and he starts throwing tables one after the other and drives them out with a whip. Why did he do that? 
because they corrupted the sanctuaries that God had been given. They corrupted the holy places that were meant to be pure. So when people go into that place, they were meant to be pure, but they corrupted them with greed and violence and deception. The Bible says that we are to protect our sanctuary. What's our sanctuary? The Bible says the first sanctuary you have is your body. Because the Bible says that our body is a temple of the, the Holy Spirit. So God lives within you. That's your first sanctuary. Keep it pure. Keep it holy. Keep it separate to God. Don't mix it up with this world. But God has given us other areas that are a responsibility, that, are, that are, the Bible says are actually hallowed ground. Our marriages, our families, this church, not this building, this church, this is hallowed ground for God. This is where he lives. This is where he interacts. It's through this that he actually reaches the world with the truth. Don't destroy the church. And finally, it's the interactions that we have with people in the world. You are a manifestation. You are a walking billboard that Jesus Christ is alive. Your walking billboard that you, that you show everyone, if you do not witness properly, if you are a false, found to be a false witness, then the only one who loses, whose name is profane, is God himself. Keep pure. Don't allow the devil to get a foothold in your life. Do not allow him to manipulate you, to trick you as he continues to do. Let me just close with the three points again. Point one, the devil will keep, keeps on peddling the same merchandise. If you listen to his sales pitch, remember that he will use your own pride against you. And it will often lead to violent or deceptive means to get what you think you need. Point two, if you have a problem with pride, as Satan did, he will use it against you again. If pride is a problem with you, you will probably find yourself often being offended, expecting things of other people. That problem will then be that you will seek to justify getting what you want as well. And you will corrupt wisdom that God has given you. And finally, keep your sanctuaries pure. The devil loves nothing more than to corrupt churches to corrupt your life, to corrupt your family's life, and to corrupt the church. Protect them. Men especially. Men, protect your families. Be the men and stand up. Don't allow your women to do all the spiritual things in your home. Be the men and protect your families from the devil. We'll close with that. God bless you all. I hope you've uh, you've been blessed by the sermon today. Thank you.